Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's sermon podcast. We trust that this podcast is an encouragement to you. If there's any way that we can pray for you, or if you have any questions about Jesus and why we serve him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Boy, God is great, isn't he? And that song, um, it's a good reminder that God is great, and he's who we're here for today. We're here for him. Thank you, uh, Reverb, for uh, leading us in worship. It's really a blessing. I'm not usually on that side of of the stage, and it really is a blessing to just worship, worship the Lord who's worthy together. We are really, um, we are really blessed to have so many wonderful young people in this church that love the Lord and use their skills to, uh, to worship Him. So, Jagger prayed for me and for us, but I'm going to pray as well. So let's, let's bow our heads before we begin. Lord God, you alone are worthy of our adoration, of our time, of our esteem. And Lord, right now in this moment, you see my heart, and you know that I feel vastly unworthy to speak your words. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in this place in a mighty way. That we would hear from you, from your word that you have promised to speak through. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to change us in the way that you want us to be. Lord, I pray uh, that you would just speak this morning, that I would only be a mouthpiece. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So... This year, we've been speaking a lot about our vision, Vision 2020, of a vision with lots of taglines and um, lots of uh, thought-catching gimmicks to keep it in our minds. That's the point, okay? Each one, reach one. It's to help us remember. But the point is, not the... Not all the things. The point is the evangelism. The point is making disciples. That's our vision for this year. We want to make disciples. Because really, that's the work of the church. Amen? There are a lot of works that the church is about. Okay? There are a lot of things that God's called us to do. We're called to do, we're called to bring Him glory. We're called to spread the kingdom. We're called to do good works. We're called to love one another. We're called to do a lot of things. But the work of the church that accomplishes those things along the road is making disciples. There are a lot of ways that we can spread the kingdom 
But the way that Jesus has ordained for us to do it is through making disciples. Anybody remember what the Great Commission is? We hear it enough, right? What did he say? I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Go unto all the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the thing. There's only one verb in that whole sentence. Did you know that? In Greek. Now, there's several verbs in English. But in Greek, there's one verb. Make disciples. Every other phrase. Go, teach, baptize. All of those are, what's the word I'm looking for? They're action words. They're not verbs in the Greek. They're a, a, a participle. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, partic- I knew it would start with a P. Thank you. Participles that alter and describe the verb. Okay? The verb is make disciples. Teaching them is part of that. But baptizing them is part of that. Going is part of that. Making disciples is the heart of the call of, of Jesus. So when we, when we follow Jesus, because that's what being a disciple is. It's being a follower. That's what it means. It's a follower, a learner. So when we follow Jesus and lead others to follow Jesus, we fulfill all those other purposes. As followers or disciples of Jesus we, who obey his commands, we bring glory to God. We are salt and light. And we live holy lives that please him. It's at the core of what we do. So, it's the first fruit, you might say. It's the core fruit of what we're called to be as Christians. As you might have noticed in our, in our little uh, bulletins, the title of today's sermon is How to Bear Fruit. So if the fruit that we're supposed to bear is making disciples, there are many other fruits, but I think that it's at the core, and I'm going to argue that from the scripture. But if the fruit is making disciples, then how do we do that? How do we bear fruit? That's the topic for today. How do we motivate ourselves and our disciples that we're making to do this job? This this sermon is aimed to be immensely practical, but maybe not in the way you might think. I'm not going to give you pro tips or step-by-step plans or um, other kinds of game plans necessarily what I'm my goal today is to give you a foundation to stand on and that foundation will be where we can stand and a goal to strive towards and hopefully as we learn the things that God has to say to us in this scripture the Holy Spirit will move in your life to fill out the details of what that fruit looks like in your life So as you might know, Scott and Mark and I went um, a 
a couple weeks ago to the Midwest Leadership Summit, which is a huge, it was ridiculously huge, biggest um, conference I've ever been to. 10, was it 12 states that got together? 12 states, which comprised nine state conventions, which confused me. Um, but I guess a couple of them doubled up. Uh, 12 states with nine conventions. So anyways, 12 states got together, Midwest, all of the Midwest got together for this conference. And um, in one of the sessions, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, um, spoke to us pastors and leaders. He said a lot of things. Most of them were really good. He told some really good jokes. In fact, he stole one from Pastor Scott. I'll just say he did. He started telling a story, and uh, Mark and I looked at each other and go, I've heard this one. Uh, but uh, what, there was one thing he said, or one group of statements that he made that has stuck with me. And I, it's like, you know, you get a, a rock in your shoe. I just can't get it out. I can't get it out of my head. I can't, I can't let it go. It's been just rumbling around in my head for quite a bit. And, um, and part how we started this, this state, these group of statements was like this, with a question. He said, well, who do you think is leading the world in world missions? What Christian denomination is leading in world missions? We're good Southern Baptists. We're the largest evangelical denomination in the world. Of course it's us, Right? Right? We were founded on missions. Did you guys know that? The Southern Baptist Convention was founded because we wanted to do, Southern Baptists wanted to do missions and the Northern Baptists, there were some other things involved, but they wouldn't let us do missions, so they wanted to do missions. So that's what it started with, okay? We have the International Mission Board, which is one of the largest mission societies in the world. We have the North American Mission Board, which is another one of the largest missionary societies in the world. Surely, it's the Southern Baptist. That's what every pastor in the room was thinking. He said, it's not, it's not us. He said, the people that are, the denominations leading the Christian evangelical world in world missions are the Pentecostals. Now, this is not an anti-Pentecostal uh, statement, but it's a thing. I was shocked by this a little bit. I was like, Southern Baptists, we're all about missions. How are we losing this? It's all Christ's kingdom. It's all Christ's kingdom. But it was the reason he gave of why he believes Southern Baptists are not leading and Pentecostals are leading in the world missions. He said he believes Baptists are primarily motivated by guilt and fear. That Baptists, when we get together with our mission societies, we talk about how big the project is and how big the, the goal is, and we get scared. We, talk, we remind ourselves to do missions by saying things like, hey, there are currently 7,375 unreached people groups in the world, which represents 42.6% of all known people groups or 3.19 billion, with a B, unreached people on this planet. 3.19 billion people who 
What's, what's unreached people group mean? Does anybody know what that means? If you don't know, I'll tell you. So an unreached people group is the, a technical term for a people group. It's a group that has a distinct dialect and distinct culture in a distinct region. And an unreached people group is a group that has no part of Scripture in their language, their native language. They have no or very few missionaries engaged at all. They have no native churches. So basically, that's 3.19 million people. Sorry, I misspoke. Billion with a B. B for Brandon. 3.19 billion people who have no gospel access whatsoever. That means they will never hear in their lifetime unless somebody goes. Now, I say that, okay, to say that's how Baptists motivate people. We talk about how big the problem is. That's how I, I grew up my whole life as a Baptist, and that, I've heard that talk many, many times, and it feels scary, and it feels huge, and it feels un, um, unsurmountable. 3.19 billion? That's, that's more people than you'll ever see in your life. Probably even on a TV screen. That's a lot of people. But J.D. Greer's point in saying that was, Pentecostals don't motivate themselves that way. They're motivated out of a desire to simply listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he asks them to do. They may say, hey, I don't know about 3.19 billion. I don't know if I can do that. But I can listen to the Holy Spirit, and I can do what he asks me to do with this next step. I may not be able to tackle that whole huge thing, but I can listen to what God tells me to do, and I can do that. And that stuck with me. That thought of, are we motivating ourselves and our people out of guilt and fear? Or are we motivating ourselves with a desire to just do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. So all of that is introduction. Okay? We're going to go to the text of Scripture, and we're going to see if we can find some motivation for making disciples that's not a tongue-lashing I'm not here because I want to whip you into shape to go out and share Jesus. In fact, while I was, it's funny, um, while I was thinking about these things, I, re- I ran across a quote by a, a Bible teacher named Paul Washer, who's also a missionary, spent many years in South America, and he's the president of Heart Cry Missions Society, and he, he said this, it is not by the lash or the sharp tongue that the bride is made ready for her spouse, but through a clearer vision of him and his love manifested on Calvary. So that's my goal. We're not, I'm not up here to tongue-lash you and tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm up here to help you. Because I need the help too. So we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to listen to the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 15. I encourage you, uh, I think we're going to have it on the screen, but if you have a Bible, 
we're going to go, we're going to be looking at it a lot. So you, I'd encourage you to turn there in your own Bible. So John 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fourth Gospel, chapter 15. Page 687. It's a guess. If that's wrong, I'm sorry. Um, John 15, verse 1 says this. We're going to read the whole chapter, so bear with me. John 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. Where Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go. And bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they did not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But they have no excuse for their sin now. Whoever hates me hates my father also. 
If I had done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So that's a long passage of scripture. But I think the context helps us get a vision of what Jesus is trying to communicate. There's three questions I want us to ask from this text. And we're going to use this text to answer those questions. And I hope faithfully, if you think I'm wrong, you can call me out when we're done, okay? Or call me out right now, that's fine. But I think Jesus is telling us a few things, and we're going to look at the scripture together. We're going to see what he has to say. So the first question we're going to ask is, what does the Father want to see? What does the Father want to see? Let's look at verse 8 and verse 16. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There's one hint of what the Father wants to see. And verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So why did Jesus choose and appoint his disciples? That they should bear fruit. So the Father wants us to bear fruit. I think there may be many things he wants to see in this passage, but one thing we can say for sure is the Father wants us to bear fruit. What will glorify the Father, Jesus says, is that we bear fruit. The Father wants to see fruit from his people. This is a pattern through the Gospels. Jesus talks about this a lot. We see, and it starts actually not in the Gospels, but all the way back in Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and the prophets, God talks about his people like a vine, like a vineyard, that's not bearing the fruit that he wants to see. Jesus t- tells the parable of, of the vineyard, where he rents out this vineyard to these people, and they don't give him the fruit. The king don't, doesn't, get, doesn't get the fruit he wants. And so he gets them out of there and puts new people in to run the vineyard. Why does anybody plant a vineyard? Because you want the fruit. Why do you plant a garden? Because you want the produce. We, we want the fruit. God is the same. He wants the fruit. John the Baptist talks about uh, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to those who bear the fruit of repentance. It's a theme. God wants to see fruit. He wants the vine to produce fruit. So what is that fruit? We talked about it some already. But can we see it in this scripture? What is that fruit he wants, that he wants to see? Because it's important. If God wants to see fruit, we should know what the fruit is. 
Verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. I think we see there, love is a fruit. We abide in his love. We want to have love for Christ. But also obedience is a fruit, right? We see that in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And also being a witness is a fruit. You look down in verse 26 and 27. He says, when the helper comes, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about me. So the fruit we're called to produce is many different things. When I talk about bearing fruit, a lot of you, your first thought might have been from Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, right? Anybody remember what they are? Um, Many years ago, uh, actually not that many, I'm not that old, but uh, several years ago, we had a vacation Bible school in uh, Arkansas, and I was uh, in charge of the music, and it was, the whole theme was fruit of the spirit and that's there we sang a song to help them remember to this day that's how i remember when i'm remembering the fruit of the spirit it's love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that's why music's important you guys okay keeps it thank you it keeps keeps it in your mind okay it's love it's joy it's peace patience kindness Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love is a fruit. Joy is a fruit that Jesus mentions in this passage. But also, we might think of the purposes that we spoke about earlier. Of spreading God's glory. Spreading God's kingdom. Being salt and light in the world. Of loving, uh, doing acts of service for our our friends and loved ones, and, and for strangers and enemies. But how do we do those things? How do we spread God's kingdom and be salt and light and do these things? It's through obedience and through making disciples. The boots on the ground fruit that we will be, make, will, will be the making of disciples And the essence of the fruit is obedience to Christ. He says, what's the Great Commission? Make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And part of that obey points back to making disciples. Uh, The essence of that fruit is obedience. It is learning what Christ wants from us and doing it. It's sometimes learning it's sometimes evangelizing. It's sometimes teaching. But always growing more and more like Jesus. Who was the holy, compassionate, teaching, preacher, and evangelist. That's who we're growing to be like. The point is, I want you guys to see... The whole deal of disciple-making and evangelism is fruit wrapped up in what 
We're, we're trying to obey Jesus. That's the fruit we're trying to have. And disciple making is a part of this. It's not something extra that we add on to our walk with Christ. Disciple making is the fruit. It's part, of the, it's part and parcel. It's not the whole fruit, but it's part of the fruit. Involved in that obedience is disciple making. And so if that's true, then the next question comes. Where does it come from? Where does this fruit come from? Because that's my struggle. Okay, I hear Pastor Scott uh, up here te- talking about evangelism. We've had many meetings. And I'll just be honest. That's not my strong suit. Pastor Sway last week said, you might be sitting out there saying, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's me. I was saying that when he was, I was saying it under my breath. Because I don't feel comfortable doing evangelism. But here's the deal. If it's something we're called to, and I believe it is. I believe, I, I'm a, I agree with Pastor Sway wholeheartedly when he says, if you've received the gift of salvation, you have the responsibility of of evangelism. Disciple making is a call of the church. It's a fruit. But it's a fruit. And so where does fruit come from? Does it come from us mustering it up and working real hard? And is that where it comes from? Is that what is that what Jesus says in this passage? I don't think so. But let's let's think a little bit. So can a motivation for disciple-making come from uh, looking at the vast work that is yet undone. Yes. Jesus looked out over the crowds and felt compassion because they were helpless and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? It can come from that. Jesus was burdened by the lostness of people. Can it come from guilt for not looking and acting more like Jesus? Can. Can come from guilt of thinking, man, I'm not doing enough. And Jesus said some hard things about taking up our cross, which was an execution device, by the way. He might as well have said today, take up your lethal injection or your electric chair and follow me. It's kind of crazy sounding, okay? Jesus, and he said, if you won't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. You're not fitting for my kingdom. So Jesus said some hard things. Could it be, uh, can it come from um, guilt or from uh, fear and sadness? Can it come from those things? Yes. But can it also come from a love for the Savior? Do we need, do we necessarily have to only be motivated by a fear of what we're not doing? Let's look at verse 4 of this chapter 15 again. What, is, what motive does Jesus give us in, cha- in John 15? He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to pause right there. Who's the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? Us. Where does fruit come from? Comes from the vine. Okay? Branches that are, he mentions this in a minute. Branches that are cut off and laid aside don't produce fruit. Branches that lay on the ground and go, I feel really guilty that I'm not making any fruit. They don't make fruit still. They still don't. The fruit comes from the root, which we only get connected to through the vine. Branches are non-essential to the vine. A vine can be alive without branches. It still has a root. It still gets everything it needs. They're not essential. But the vine is essential for the branches. Okay? Now, in a little bit of a flip-flop, the vine, chew, the vine doesn't produce fruit anywhere but the branches. Amen? Is that right? The vine doesn't pop fruit up off the bulk of the vine or on the roots. It produces the fruit through the branches. So Jesus has ordained that he will only produce the fruit of his kingdom being spread through his disciples. Okay, there's not, the church is plan A, and there isn't plan B. But it doesn't have to be these branches, is the point I'm getting at. And Jesus makes that clear. The branches aren't essential to him. He can make new branches. That's something that we need to think about. That's, a, that's an essential problem for us. But the point is, where does the fruit come from? It comes from the vine, not from the branch itself. Apart from him, we can do nothing, he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit has to come to the branches mediated from the vine. Like I said before, the, the branch laying on the ground may feel really guilty that it's not making more fruit. But it's never going to make any more fruit if it doesn't get into the vine. And in the same way, we may feel guilty about not being a better disciple maker. And we may really want to produce more fruit, but we're not going to produce any fruit if we're not in the vine, if we're not connected with Jesus. He says we have to abide in him. We have to abide in him. The one that abides in him produces lots of fruit. If we're abiding in Christ, fruit happens. Just like a tree doesn't bear down and go, apple, 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 apple. It just makes apples. Okay, when we're in Christ, the fruit comes. The fruit comes when we're in Christ. When we trust the Holy Spirit to do work in us and we stay close to him 
and we listen to him, the fruit comes. So if the fruit's not coming, maybe the, the answer's not to go get a... That's, that's why I didn't want to give you a step-by-step plan. Because the answer might not be a step-by-step plan. The answer might be, I might not be connected to the vine. Which I'll say, it's a little bit scarier, right? If we think, well, the problem is I just can't produce fruit, so I just need a step-by-step plan to figure this out. Well, maybe the problem is I'm not connected to Jesus, and I need to be with him. So this leads into the last question. What's our responsibility? If the Father wants to see fruit, and the fruit only comes from the vine, it comes from Jesus, comes from the Holy Spirit working in us, then what's our responsibility? Because we have one. We're a branch that we make fruit. But what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is do what Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 15 of, of the book of John. He says, abide in me, and I in you. That's our responsibility. Your translation may say remain or stay. That's what abide means, to stay with Jesus, to abide there, remain with Jesus, because that's the only place fruit comes from. Apart from him, we can't do anything. We have to remain there with Jesus. Let's reread verses 1 through 10 together, or 1 through, what do we got up there? 5? Yeah, that'll work. 1 through 5. He says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I'm going to skip down a little bit to verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think that passage there in, in verse 10, I think that gives us a hint. What is our responsibility He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, you are to abide in my love and keep my commandments. How did Jesus abide with the Father? Jesus Jesus took time to have secluded, secret prayer alone with the Father on a regular basis. We see that over and over in the Scripture. Jesus only, he says in other places, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. He only said what God wanted him to say. So he was, he was listening 
to the Father. He had, we see when he was dealing with temptation, he had all these scriptures memorized. He had the word of God stored away inside of his heart and mind. So Jesus was abiding in the Father through, through constant prayer, through seeking the Father's voice in the Scripture, and through when he heard what God had said to him in the Scripture, he turned around and did it. So how can we abide in Christ as Christ abides in the Father? We need to spend time in prayer. The world's busy. Okay? Life is busy. Jesus, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. It's, it's one of my favorites because of what it says about Jesus, but it, it, it's really hard for me because of what it says about me because I don't do it right. There's a, there's a, a, a passage in the, in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus, it talks about Jesus going to Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law and then all the sick people in the whole town came and he healed them all until dark. And then it says, then he went away to a secluded pray, place to pray. Jesus spent all day healing people and teaching people all day until it was, it was nighttime. And then he didn't say, man, I need a nap, which is what I need when I'm done. No, he needed Father. And so he went away to pray. And then the the story goes on, and he's out there praying, and then his disciples come looking for him because they're like, people are looking for you. And he's like, okay. And so he gets up and he goes. So he didn't even sleep. If you read Mark, the timeline is he healed people all day. He prayed all night. People, disciples came and got him. He went off and did some more. He needed the presence of the Father more than sleep. We see Jesus in another place in John where he talks about when he meets the woman at the well and his disciples come up and we know the, the, the story of the woman at the well. Well, maybe you do. He talks about worship and all these beautiful things and then um, his disciples come back and they're like, Master, you haven't eaten any food. Should we, we need to get you some food. And he goes, I have food you don't even know about. And he says, they say, Wait, who, who gave him food? And he goes, my food is to do the will of my Father. He wanted to do the will of his Father more than he wanted to sleep or to eat. Now, Jesus is perfect. He's God in the flesh. We can't be exactly like him, right? I get that. We're sinful, broken people. But he is our example. He is our elder brother who we look to and he says in this passage that we're supposed to abide in him like he abides in the father so we need to be spending time with the lord we need to be seeking him out in his word we need to be doing these things because he says there in verse 26 and 27 of john 15 when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness.
because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, specifically, when Jesus said these words, he was telling that to his disciples who had been with him during his earthly ministry. Okay? They had been with him from the beginning. But they're not the only ones that have received the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter in, in Acts 2 tells to the crowds, he says, If you repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. So we will receive this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to his disciples, and we can be with him too through the mediated presence of his Holy Spirit. And so when the Spirit testifies about Jesus, we do too. That's what he's saying. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me, and so will you because you've been with me. So when we're with him and we seek his Holy Spirit, we will bear witness because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ. We see a little earlier in the previous chapter in John, he talks about the Holy Spirit will come and he'll remind you of all the things that I've said. And that he will bear witness to me. And in the next chapter, in chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Well, just all he says is he takes what's from me and just throws it out there. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us new stuff. He just tells us more about Jesus. He, he takes what he hears from the Father and he gives it to us. And he gives it to the world. And that is, if the Holy Spirit's in us, we will be witnesses for him. And enough, so that's one reason why spending more and more time with Jesus will result in us sharing. Because the Holy, more the Holy Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit will bear witness through us. The fruit comes. It comes. But another reason why the more time we spend with Jesus, we will bear fruit is the more we see him, mediated by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit, the more we see him, the more beautiful he becomes to us. If you spend time with Jesus every day and you don't love him more, you're not seeing him. He's great. We sang all these amazing songs that are meant to point us to see him for who he truly is. And when we see him, we can't help but love him. And what you love, you will speak about. Right? Pastor Scott is constantly making sports references. Much to my chagrin. No, I don't care. Always making sports references. He can't help it because he loves it. He loves sports. I am constantly showing pictures of my children or talking about, you know, the silly books that I read. Because I love it, okay? Whatever you love, you're going to talk about. It's going to come out. Because what you love, you speak about. And the more we love Jesus, if we love Jesus, we're going to talk about him. Amen. And here's the thing. All the, there's, there's sports and there's children and there's accomplishments and jobs and entertainment, all these things that we love, and we talk about those with no problem, and I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to guilt you. 
But in Matthew 10, Jesus says, if you, don't love, if you love father or mother or son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. We love all these things and we speak so highly of them. The whole world was enraptured with the Super Bowl a week ago. It's all everybody could talk about. But we don't love Jesus more than all of that stuff. We're not, we're not fitting for his kingdom. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. That's the thing. It's not guilt you into trying to love Jesus more. It's look at him. Spend time with him. When you see him for who he truly is, you can't help but love him because he's amazing. Amen. But the more time we spend with him, the more we love him. And naturally and supernaturally, the more the fruit will come. So we're going to close. And I'm going to invite the band. And uh, as they come up, I just want to share a couple thoughts as we think about what our responsibility is today. Our responsibility in bearing fruit is to stay connected to the vine. Maybe for you that means your first step today is, I've been disconnected from the vine. I, I love all this other stuff more than I love Jesus right now. If that's you, take some time as the band's playing to repent of that and to seek him out and to make a commitment that God I'm going to seek you because you're worthy maybe today you're still thinking I'm so scared of talking with people and doing that stuff that I, even if I spend time with Jesus I don't know how that's going to work I ain't going to make me any more bold that's me okay if you're like me Trust what he says when he says the Holy Spirit will come into you and he will bear witness. And when he bears witness, you will bear witness and seek him harder. Maybe you need to turn and take this moment to refocus and to lay that fear before the Lord and say, God, I just want to bear fruit. Whatever it means, I just want to bear fruit. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, none of this makes any sense to me. Because I don't know Jesus. I don't love Jesus. Or maybe you're thinking, that sounds like a bunch of weird stuff or hogwash. Look at Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you can see him rightly. And when you see him, you'll love him. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.